And um, if you would, go to, I need to get these fixed. Hey, now I can see. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I'm going to start a new series. At least I think it's going to be a series. I never know. I've started many series and have never finished them yet. But I always give it a try. So I'm thinking if the Holy Spirit is in agreement with me, I hope he is because I already got all of it done, <clears throat> that we'll be honest for about two or three weeks. Uh, I want to start talking to you today about the good work. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I'm going to read it to you out of the Amplified Translation. Because the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write these words. And I am convinced and sure of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ right up to the time of his return, developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. Today we're going to unpack the good work. As Paul said, he who began a good work. Now, everyone say good. Because I really want us to focus on the work that God is doing in you is a good work. But when the king uses the word good, he doesn't use it as we normally do. I mean, I don't know about you. I can only speak for myself. But usually when I use the word good or even when I hear the word good, what I'm hearing is it ain't great. Right. You go out and you you have a meal and the waiter asks you, how do you like your food? And you say, well, it was good. What we're saying is I ain't spitting it up. But it ain't the greatest I ever had either. It's good. Right. That seems to be the way we usually use the word good, because if we mean great, we say great. But when Scripture, when the Lord uses the word good, he has an amazingly high standard. He uses it in the proper setting of being superior, excellent, outstanding. If you go back to the book of Genesis and you read the story of creation, over and over again, when the Lord created something, the Bible would say, and he saw that it was good. When the Lord was done with his creation, he, he looked at all that he had made. Now, I want you to understand this. He was looking at the perfection of creation. Did you hear what I just said? The perfection of creation. And he declared that which he had made was good. What he was saying is that what I have just created is superior. It's outstanding. It's excellent. The word good has such a high setting and standard in Scripture that there was a time when someone came to Jesus and they called him good teacher. Now, we would think that if anyone qualifies to be called good, it would be the master. And yet Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that's God. Now, Jesus was not devaluing or demeaning himself. 
Okay, I don't know every reason he did this, but I do know that it was a principle in the life of Jesus. He was always deflecting the glory and the credit to God. Always. So I don't believe not for an instance because Jesus never spoke ill of himself. And I'm going you need to hear what I just said. Jesus never spoke ill of himself. There ain't a single verse where Jesus said, I'm a loser. You hearing what I'm saying? He declared himself to be the son of God. But in this setting, he wasn't saying, I'm bad, I'm no good. He was simply doing what he always did and deflecting the credit to the one he came to represent. But the principle and the point is this, that when the Bible uses the word good, it's not saying it's barely good enough. It's not using it in the sense of, I'm barely keeping this in. I really want to spit it out. So when the Bible says God is doing a work in you and it is a good work, what he's saying is the work that he's doing in you is outstanding. You hearing what I'm saying? Each and every one of you, if you're born again and you've given your life to Christ, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you feel like. It doesn't matter what you look like. Something inside of you is going on. There's a work that's being done by the author of all creation inside of you, and he declared it is a good work. I'm doing something, says the Lord, outstanding inside of you. I'm doing something of superior quality and excellence. And this is so important for you and I to understand and know and realize and appreciate and receive. Because if we don't agree with God, then we frustrate the work of God. We've got to agree with God. How many of you know Jesus said man does not live by bread alone, but by some of the words that come out of the mouth of God? Every word. Every word. What does that mean? That means all of them. Right? So that means everything that God has said about himself, we believe. Doesn't matter what we see. Doesn't matter what the religious have told us. See, it's not what a Ph.D. says about God. It's what God says about God. And he if he has declared something of himself in the Bible, then you and I simply believe what he says over our experience, our education and our background. If he declared himself to be a healer, it doesn't matter if every person in our ancestry died early. We ain't a gonna. Why? Because he said, with a long life, I will satisfy you. I don't know what they didn't know. They may have been in church, but they may never have been taught who he is. So I'm not going to judge my lifespan on theirs. I'm not going to judge how high up the economic ladder I can go simply because I come from a pole family. And I didn't say poor. I said pole. We had to have the extra OR on layaway. Y'all don't even know layaway. Go to, go to Kmart and put a dollar 
something once a week and you get it when you're 50. And by the time you get it, that plastic horsey, you outgrew it, but it took you that long to get it. But that don't matter because I'm not judged on what they didn't know. I can go as high and as far in life as I'm willing to believe what the Bible says. Will some people misunderstand? There's a lot of people that misunderstand the Bible. There are people that willingly misunderstand the Bible. They want to misinterpret the Bible. This is reason. Is this okay this morning? This is the reason why I say never let the scripturally illiterate, spiritually ignorant man limit you by their limitation of God. I don't let other people's suppositions, opinions, and judgments dictate my life. It's whatever he says. And if he says, I'll make you wealthy, then I ain't going to apologize for it. If he says, I am the healer of the body, then I'm going to believe every day through the pain, he is my healer. Because when I stand before him, I'm not going to use you as an excuse for my doubt and unbelief. That ain't in my notes. There's a good work. Hallelujah, Father. I strayed so far down that rabbit trail, I need to find my way back. This good work, the ultimate intention, and hear me when I say this, the ultimate intention of everything that God is doing in your life, everything, is that you would be just like Jesus Christ. Christ-likeness is his ultimate intention. And the good work that he's doing, we go back, we read the verse. Listen, you have the potential of Christ in you in his fullness. But the pattern of Christ is being drawn out. Did you get that? The potential's there. Just like if you have a seed, you have the potential for a forest. But you don't get the forest immediately. The potential of Christ, you have the ability to think just like the master. You have the ability to walk just like the master. You have the ability for his life, his love, his power, his wisdom, and his authority to flow through you. But the pattern is being drawn out. And this is for some of us, Shay, all of us, this is going to be a lifelong work. Because I know you're much further along than I am, but I'm going to tell you straight up, God has his work cut out for him with me. But I'm willing to be chipped on and carved on and pruned because I want to be what he wants me to be, and that is be just like Jesus Christ. The Bible says it's Christ in you that is the very hope of glory. It's what glory is hoping for, that you and I, men, women, boys, and girls, that we would have a city full of people who are just like Jesus, that we would have a region full of people just like Jesus. Eventually, a world full of people. The Bible tells us that the earth itself is groaning, waiting for the full manifestation of the sons of God. Amen? So today I want to, in the time that we have together, 27 minutes and 57 seconds, I want to unpack to you two things. And if I can make it through just two things, it'll be good. I want to show you two things. How we can accelerate and cooperate with this good work and how we may be delaying and hindering this good work. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Colossians. 
No, no, no. Skip that. Ephesians chapter 2. This is where we'll. Ephesians chapter 2. Again, out of the Amplified. I want to talk to you about how we might inadvertently be hindering the work. And I will say this. Most of us hinder the work. For we are God's own handiwork. His workmanship. Recreated in Christ Jesus. Now, how many of you remember David said something one time? David said, in iniquity did my mother conceive me. I've often thought about this. In iniquity did my mama conceive me. But in righteousness did my father receive me. Right over your head, I'll say that again. See, it doesn't matter what your first birth was. It really doesn't. In iniquity did my mama conceive me, but in righteousness did my father receive me. We are God's handiwork recreated. Do you see that? Recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew. That we might do those good works which God has predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. I want to let me throw this out there as we continue on, but God is always preparing you for that which he has prepared for you. You'll never get to that which he has prepared for you if you try to avoid or skirt the preparation time. God is always, see, sometimes we don't understand why we go through what we go through. And sometimes it feels as if in the midst of that struggle, that time, that season, God has abandoned us. But we, being human, are very short-sighted people. We only see the next moment. We only understand the present. God is working out in our lives what the Bible calls an eternal weight of glory. And even if what you're going through, you're going through it because your brothers conspired against you, your sisters came against you, the devil orchestrated this against you, God will take that which they meant for evil and cause it to be your good because he is working out in your life something greater than your momentary happiness. He is preparing you for that which he has prepared for you so you can walk in paths and live the good life, such a good life that it would blow your mind if you would see it now. You wouldn't understand how am I ever going to get to there from here because there seems to be no path, but it is the path he laid out for you. So we need to understand, I don't like where I am, but he is preparing me for something greater than where I am presently. So this is the reason why I don't abandon hope. And I don't change, listen to me when I say this, I don't change my confession to fit my situation. I keep my confession based on his word. I'm going to have to get this CD myself. 
How many of you, Ephesians, we are God's handiwork, handiwork, created, recreated in the image of Christ. How many of you have ever created something? Maybe you crafted it, you sewed it, you sculpted it, you painted it, you fabricated it. And you stepped back when you were done with your project and you looked at it and you thought, now that's good. Right? And you were proud of it because it represented you. You literally poured yourself into it. And then you bring a loved one and you say, I just want to show you something. Take a look at that. And you step back because you know they're going to be in awe, as much awe as you are. And they look at it. I think, wow, that's trash. Why do you got that in your house? And in, in, man. <laughs> okay. When they fail to appreciate that good work, how'd it make you feel? Didn't you take it personal? Because that represented you. Now, this ain't a rabbit trail. I'm going somewhere with this. We are God's handiwork. Literally, his masterpiece. How do you think it makes him feel when we look at the work he's doing in our lives And we don't, he's doing a good work in me. He's creating something in me. And I look at what he's doing, and I say, man, I'm just a loser. I'm just poor, white, trash. I'm talking about God's handiwork. I'm talking about what he literally created and then died to recreate. And see, we, listen, we got to understand there's a huge difference between relationship and religion. The religious have always confused and failed to discern the difference between confidence and arrogance. Arrogance simply means, is this okay? The arrogant believe more of themselves than they ought to. I've often said it this way. Arrogance is the child of ego and ignorance. When ego marries ignorance, they give birth to arrogant because the arrogant are too ignorant to to recognize their own ego. They think they are all that and a bag of chips, and they ain't. They ain't even the crumbs in the bottom of the bag. But the confident, confidence, if you look it up, confidence means to believe that you'll have the aid and support of another. That's all it means. To be confident means I know you're going to come through for me. Arrogance means I don't need you. The religious can't discern between the difference. So they look at the confident who believe every word God has said about himself, about his attitude towards you, and who you are in him, and they call you arrogant. And because you don't want to be arrogant, you assume the position of humility as they discern it, and you think that humility means that you devalue, demean, and degrade yourself. You following me? The religious will say, if you'll say bad things about yourself, that's humility. God says that's unbelief. You following me? I'm trying to help you. 
Because, see, listen, you and I are never going to advance in the kingdom by demeaning and devaluing the work of the king. And it's not humility. It's stupidity. And there is a difference. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Numbers. I want to look at just a few. I'm going to read the whole verse, but I want to look at just a few words here. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in whose sight? In our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Now here's what I want you to hear. God had called them to be conquerors. God had called them, ordained them, anointed them to be possessors of the land. But they didn't call themselves conquerors. They didn't call themselves possessors. They called themselves grasshoppers. And grasshoppers can never be possessors. Grasshoppers can never be world changers. And they were grasshoppers in their own sight. Now, let's, let's keep reading because I want to show. They did a great many things. In fact, God says they tempted me ten times. This was one of the ten. And this was really, the, the, this was the tenth time and it broke the deal. Because it was after this, the Bible says in Hebrews, is this okay? Hebrews chapter 3, God said he swore in his wrath. What does he mean? I was ticked. This was the last straw because I had called them conquerors and they called themselves grasshoppers. Let me show you something else. Is this okay? Because see, a lot of us, we, we, we frustrate the work of God because we demean ourselves thinking it's humility. And what's important is that we just say the same thing that God says. And I've said this to you before, and I'm going to say it to you again. God is the only one who knows you the way he knows you. He knows your past, baby, and yet he loves you. He knows your potential, and he's dedicated to you. God knows your past, your present, and your future, and yet he's the only one that's never said a derogatory word about you. God ain't never insulted you not one time, so you ought not to insult yourself. Because it's important that we set ourselves in agreement with heaven. You following me? And so let's look at, look at it, just a few words in, in Numbers chapter 14, verse 2. This is after they called themselves grasshoppers. It says, all the Israelites grumbled and deplored their situation. And then in verse 3, why does the Lord bring us to this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and little ones will be a prey. Is it not better for us to return to Egypt? They grumbled. Listen. Everyone say good work. He is doing a good work in us, but if we lose sight of the good work that's being done in us, then we will be like the children of Israel and grumble about our present situation. I got one clap and one amen. Because, see, listen, 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 listen. When the Lord calls you to be something, to do something, it's not based upon where you are right now. It's based upon his belief in his own word, what he's doing in you. He's not calling forth what you are now. He's calling forth what the potential you have to be. 
And so when we use our present situation as an excuse not to possess that which he called us to possess, God does not understand. He calls it unbelief. Because what God got so upset, is this okay? What he said about them calling themselves grasshoppers and focusing on their own situation, he said, when are they going to believe me? And yet they didn't say one derogatory thing about God. It's in the Bible. They didn't say nothing about God not being able. What they said is we're not able. I'm going to say that again. They didn't say God wasn't able. They said we're not able. They didn't call God a grasshopper. They called themselves a grasshopper. But they were the people of God that God had been pouring himself into, promise after promise, miracle after miracle, word after word. God had been preparing them, and when they refused to believe what God was doing in them, God called it unbelief. Come on now. So by calling the, by speaking derogatory, insulting, demeaning things about themselves, God took it personally, and they frustrated the work of God in their lives. Is this, are you, are you getting this? I want to say it again. Listen, if we don't believe what God says about himself and about us, God doesn't view that as humility, but as doubt and unbelief. If God, I wrote the, if God asked you to do something, no matter what your past, no matter what your present situation, what he's asking of you is to believe him. If God, okay, I'm going to just keep it real. If God asked you to give $100 and you only got one, what's he asking you to do? To believe him. To believe him to do what? To equip you to do that which he has called you to do. So if you grumble about your present situation, and refuse to give the one because you ain't got the 100. And you're using your situation as an excuse not to do it. God sees that as unbelief. Because what he's asking you to do. He, listen, he's like, baby, I know you ain't got the 100. That's why I'm asking you for it. So that you can step out of your situation and make a journey into another place with me. I'm asking that you'll believe me to fulfill my word in your life. So when you give the one and that's all you got, or even you give 50% of it, you give 50 cent, God sees that as a step of obedience and a full manifestation of faith. Is this, is this, listen, because what, this is what he's asking you to believe. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21. He's asking you to believe, believe that he will equip you in every good thing to do his will. I have discovered, listen, and most of you have discovered this too, God never asked you to do what you can do. Because if you can do it, it don't take faith to do it. He asked you to do what you can't do. So then you have to lean into him by faith. I'm going to say this, no matter what God asks you to do, He's at, what he's seeking is faith. If God, if God asks you for 100 or 50 
or a thousand. Do you think God needs your money? He's not asking you for the money. He's asking you for the faith. If he asks you to forgive somebody that hurts you, he ain't asking you to let them off the hook. What he's asking you to do is by faith, let it go so he can deliver you. What every command is a request for faith. That he will equip you to do his will. Listen to this. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we hinder the work, listen to this, when we disagree with heaven concerning the handiwork of God. When we make excuses about who we are, what we have, what we're going through, what we are really doing is making excuses for our disobedience. I'm sorry, I felt that one. Right in the side. And that hinders the work of God. Now let me show you how to accelerate. In the last 10 minutes, let me show you how to accelerate the good work by cooperation and agreement. How many of you believe that God's doing a good work in you? It's an outstanding work. We should always agree with heaven. And we agree with heaven when we agree with the Bible. Philemon chapter 1, verse 6. Paul wrote these words, And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing, which is where? Which is where? For Christ's sake. Now, one translation says this, that the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you by Christ Jesus. And sometimes that, that the word communion confuses us, and it literally means just the sharing, the going forth, back and forth, the working of his word. So I just want you to look at the, the, uh, the, the part that we're bold. Your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Your faith becomes effective. Are you getting this? Your faith becomes effective when you, A, have knowledge of what he's doing on the inside, and you have the courage to acknowledge what he's doing on the inside. It's in the Bible. That your faith would become, a, one translation says this, that your faith would reach full manifestation by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you. Because the Bible says this, is this, is this getting through? Do you know where the kingdom of heaven is? The kingdom of God, the Bible says it's in you. The kingdom of God is in you. Everything is fully invested in you. And so when we, listen, every man or woman of God that's made a difference in their generation has been in a supremely confident individual. Not a supremely ignorant or arrogant, but confident. They have been willing to admit, Paul said, listen to this, is this a, Paul said, I am who I am by the grace of God. Paul didn't demean himself. Paul said, I, listen, listen, all of you want to talk bad about me and you want to say this about me and you want to say that about me, but I ain't agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with him. I am what I am. I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I'm a changer of nations. I'm a deliverer of the sick by the grace of God. 
You got to have confidence when you put your hand into a pile of sticks and when you pull it out, there's a viper hanging off your pinky. And everyone's freaking out because anyone that gets bit by this thing dies. And I love how the Bible says, and Paul cried out, why me? <laughs> Bad things are always happening to me. All I did is want to get some firewood. That ain't in your translation? That's the wrong one. The Bible says Paul just... He shook it off. Why? Because it don't mean nothing. Nothing shall by any means hurt you or harm you. Arrows will fly, but they ain't going to hit you. Weapons will be formed, but they ain't going to prosper against you. But we've got to be confident that we have heaven's help. So when you pull your hand out and you were just minding your own business and there hangs a snake, you don't got to cry about it. You just shake it off. You, you make it, you just see? Confidence. You can't change worlds without confidence. You can't change nations without confidence. You can't walk out your front door in the morning without confidence. Every time you say something derogatory about yourself, not only do you hinder the work of God, but you, your, your soul shrinks back. Hmm. You speak of yourself in alignment with God and your faith becomes fully active. I already said this. The religious have always had a hard time discerning the difference between arrogance and confidence. But just because they confuse it doesn't mean you have to. And don't, listen, can I say this to you? Don't ever shrink back from what God has called you to do to appease the spiritually illiterate. Why do you want to shrink back to appease a coward, someone who's unwilling to step out of the box and become more than who they are? I've shared this with you. Never share a pool-sized dream with a pea brain. Ah, I'm trying to get there. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. I don't have time to go too much further down this path. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Are y'all getting this? I'm not making a clarion call for you to become arrogant narcissist. But I am giving out a call to say, would you quit believing your past over God's word? Will you start having the confidence to declare over yourself? James said, there are certain people that they look at themselves in the mirror of God's word, the perfect law of liberty. And they see what manner of man they are. And when they go away and they go out into the world and they encounter the trials and the storms and the troubles, the Bible says that they forget what manner of man they are. It's very easy to forget who you are if you're not looking at yourself in the right place, the right mirror. But once you've seen who God's called you to be, do not surrender that image for another. Ah. Okay. For we are his workmanship. He's working on us. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. And over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to talk to you about the three works. Good works. Good works in you. 
good works through you and good works you do. But the foundation of all those works are the works he's doing in you. That's the foundation. I've said this to you before. You can never do supernatural things naturally. You've got to let him do the work in you. And the way you accelerate the work that's being done in you is you acknowledge it. That's simply giving the potter credit for what he's making the pot to be. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen to this. God created the heavens, and we gaze up in awe and wonder. God created the ocean and the seas, and we take pictures of them and post them online for all to see. God created you and me, and we look in the mirror with shame and embarrassment. Unaware of the good work, unable to acknowledge a single good thing, and we struggle with faith and victory always eludes us, and we go from one disaster to the next. I wonder why. See, it's not arrogance. It's humility to say, he recreated me in his image. And that which I used to be, I'm not anymore. That ain't me no more. That's not arrogance. That's confidence because he has reformed me. I'm not a loser. I'm not a liar. I'm not a whiner. I'm a victor. I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through him who loves me and gave himself for me. My faith is just like his faith. I think his thoughts. I walk his walk. I talk his talk. If you look at me, you see God. That's not Eric. John, John G. Lake, is this okay? I hope y'all are getting this. John G. Lake, I know so I can feel it right now. Some of you are struggling with it. John G. Lake looked in the mirror and he said, wherever those clothes go, God goes. Those who were around him said, that's an arrogant man. He was the healer of the sick. He brought healings to multiplied thousands of people. They didn't heal a soul. The higher you go, the more you're going to be misunderstood. And sometimes only you'll be able to tell the difference between arrogance and confidence. People who can only see the outside and can't judge your heart will call you arrogant. They'll criticize what you wear, what you drive, where you live, how you live. But only you know the difference because you know when you're in your prayer closet, you ain't giving yourself credit. When you look in the mirror, you ain't saying, look at what I have done. You're saying, look at what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me. And buddy, you better know it was just in time. Look at what the Lord has done. They may not understand it, but you do what your master did. Always deflect the credit to him. When you finally have built the business, when you finally are living the lifestyle, and they come to you and say, you must be something, you say, no, no, he's everything. The only way you would really appreciate my story, baby, is you got to know where I come from. you got to know how the Lord led me. When I wanted to go this way, he told me to go that way. And, and where I was heading was to the poorhouse, and he led me to a wealthy place. They may not be able to discern the difference, but you'll know. You'll know. You'll know God did this. And because God gave it, I'll give it away in a heartbeat because it means nothing because he gave it to me. If I give it, he'll just give me two. 
Listen, you, God did not design you and I for failure. He designed us. He is, he, he is the spirit of success. He designed us to succeed. And all we've got to do is cooperate with him. Quit demeaning ourselves. Quit devaluing ourselves. Quit looking in the mirror and thinking, I'm just a waste. I don't look right. I don't talk right. I don't act right. I ain't where they are. I'm trying to bring this to a close. God is building a multi-story building in us. The penthouse where George finally got. Google it, you'll understand. To the penthouse in the sky. That's Christ's likeness. That's where there's no difference between me and him. Some of us were on the 99th floor. We're almost there. Others like me, we're on floor number two. But it doesn't matter where we are. Even if I'm only on the first floor, I might be in the basement, but he's doing a good work. He's begun the building. I ain't going to criticize myself. I ain't going to demean myself. I'm not going to devalue myself. When I look in the mirror, I'm going to say, God, you're doing an extraordinary thing. I used to hate myself so badly I wanted to commit suicide, but Father, your love. I don't want to die no more. I want to live. Father, I used to believe that only bad things happen to me, but now when I look in the mirror, I see, I see a magnet for all good things. That's giving him credit for all the good work. I'm going to close with this, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. I went over by four seconds. For it is God. For it is God. It is God who is at work in you. I love that. The same one who created the stars that we stand in awe of. The same one who created the oceans we take the pictures of. He's at work in me. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Everyone say this with me and we're closing. Father, I thank you that in me is a good work. You're rearranging. You're restoring. You're renewing. A right image in me. It's a good work. It's an outstanding work. It's an excellent work. It's a superior work. And it's in me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <clears throat>